guide our fat hands and make us have voices to praise you and minds to pursue you. Grant us this, O Lord, so that we may ever be servants of your will. In Jesus' name, amen. And now let us turn to our scripture reading for this morning, which comes to us from John chapter 4. We'll be reading verses 1 through 14. John chapter 4, starting with verse 1. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well, and it was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her and said, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him that he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Thus says the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It is hard to underestimate the importance of water. Now, this seems to be a, a rather silly statement, but it is one of the cornerstones of our life. Now, many of us know this. I'm pretty sure all of us have drink water, and we're going to drink water again. But the importance of this is even more than we casually think about. There have been wars that have been fought over access to water. And through the history of humankind, wells have been constantly dug, fought over, died over, and then civilizations have been risen up on the backs of access to good water and exporting it, and have actually fallen on those same times. The land of Abraham, where he came from, Ur, and in that area, one of the reasons it was famous was its access to water. And the great cities of Babylon and some and Smyrna, and all those great ancient civilizations were based on water, Egypt itself, by the Nile. 
And when the water dried up, the city died. When there is no more access to clean and fresh water, when there is no access to that which the people needed, food also went away. Thirst became prevalent. People died. And things faded away. And considering just the importance of all this, we then come to this, our scripture reading for this morning. Living water, which is what Christ told this woman. A water in which, having drunk it, will never have to thirst again. A very novel concept. At least it would be to those who don't know who is the author of such words, Jesus Christ. And this morning, we're not going to spend too long concerning ourselves with the story of our Lord's encounter with this woman at the well, at Sychar and Samaria. Instead, we're going to focus on that one thing, living water. After all, Jesus gives us a wide open invitation and a promise in verse 10 of John chapter 4, which says, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So what is this living water that Jesus so freely offers? It's something obviously very precious. It is so precious that, well, drinking it, you'll never thirst again. This is definitely something one must look for, but it's being away, given away freely. But to look at it and to understand it, we must observe this very closely. But before we really get into it, first we must consider exactly what Jesus is saying here. Sometime after our Lord's nighttime conversation with Nicodemus in Jerusalem, he returned to Galilee in the north. However, this time he did not go by the usual route. The shortest route north to Galilee would have been to go straight north. However, between Jerusalem and Galilee lay a region called Samaria. The inhabitants of this land, called Samaritans, were what would be called half-breeds half-Jewish and half-Gentile. And the word half-breed indeed was used calling them that, almost as if they were animals. The Jews and the Samaritans did not get along very well. In fact, there was a great hatred between the Samaritans and the Jews. And for this very reason, Jews would not take the straight route from Jerusalem to Galilee. They would do not want to cross through the land of Samaria, and instead they would take a huge detour around to get to Galilee. From Jerusalem, they would cross the River Jordan and travel north along the East Bank. Then when they reached the region of Galilee, they would cross the River Jordan again, this time going back to the west. But Jesus did not follow this custom. Jesus and his disciples headed straight north into Samaria. Around the time that Jesus talked to the Samaritan woman, it was about noon, the hottest part of the day. When they arrived at the well in Sychar, Disciples went into town to buy food, and Jesus sat by that well. Soon a moment came for water to be drawn, and a woman came out to draw this water from the well. And Jesus asked her for the drink then. And that's why this woman was surprised. Because Jews and Samaritans did not speak to each other like this. It simply wasn't done. Especially among the stricter Jews and the Pharisees, who consider the Samaritans a an abomination. But Jesus replied that if this woman knew who he was, she would have asked him for living water, and he would have given it to her. And he says this 
in a way that can be very surprising for a Samaritan woman. Not just talking to her, but offering her something. Her, a Samaritan, considered very low by the Jews. We could study this conversation in depth and draw some excellent lessons from it. However, I would like for us today to consider that living water that Jesus freely offered to this Samaritan woman, considered so low. Living water in the Bible refers to the Holy Spirit. And we can see this in John chapter 7, verse 37 through 39, which says, On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the Scriptures had said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. And here we see that living water, described as the Holy Spirit, representing the Holy Spirit. In other passages we will look at, water also represents the gospel, which the Holy Spirit uses and opens the eyes of the Christian and gives us a, a desire to pursue it. And sometimes it refers specifically to the blessings of this gospel, and not just how it is used. The gift of the Holy Spirit and the gospel is that greatest blessing in all the world. It is that water which nourishes. It is that water which provides life. Just as regular water sustains life, this living water also does. But that comparison doesn't do it too much justice. For the gospel and the Holy Spirit that works in us faith, far more precious than any water which sustains us. Jesus described it as such in verses 13 through 14, which says, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give them will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water, springing up into everlasting life. So we understand then where this water comes from. And Christ, Jesus, when he was talking, was saying that he was giving forth this water, and he is the bearer of it. And as the giver of this water, he is also the giver of life. So looking at this, the Holy Spirit and the Gospel being compared to water becomes more clear, especially when we consider the importance of it. For indeed, when it comes to water, we could go several weeks without food, but we would not be able to last even one week without water. And throughout the history of mankind, this has been a, that key factor. And it is because of this that we are able to live indeed. For Jesus not only compares himself and what he does as giving forth living water, also the bread of life, food, drink, necessary for sustaining us, necessary for the Christian, especially for what it represents, the gospel and the Holy Spirit that comes from our Lord. So looking at this, water gives life, and without it, nothing could live. And here Jesus says that whoever receives this living water will never thirst again. They'll never be in danger of death. So we see this is different from literal water. If we are given water, we will live. However, if we do not have water to drink on a regular basis, we will die. 
And as precious as water is, the life-giving powers of water are temporary. You could say that as precious as water is and necessary for life, indeed it is flawed. For it cannot, after just uh, having a little bit of it, sustain us indefinitely. We need it constantly. And sometimes water can be polluted, wretched. Sometimes certain things that are called dubiously water can cause more harm than good. But on the other hand, this spiritual water of the gospel gives life that will never end. Jesus says in John chapter 10, verse 27, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Jesus gives us living water, and he gives us eternal life. And that's where that comparison comes from. Living water. Interesting thing to be called, too, living water. Is this water that is alive? It is a water that gives life that does not end. And that is the importance of this water. The life-giving work of the Spirit through Christ is also an eternal work and one that does not fade. The life-giving work of the Spirit is described in terms of water in many passages to further drive this point home. Indeed, in the Old Testament, the life given from God is compared to water. And so when Jesus makes this statement here in John, he's also making a connection that has always been made with God. Life. For, for instance, considering the familiar words of Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, that bring forth its fruit in its season. Those leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. A tree between the waters, one whose leaves will not wither. Besides those two wellsprings, the Bible also uses the symbolism of water to describe God's covenant blessing from one generation to another. Isaiah chapter 44 verse 3 says this, For I will pour water on him who is thirsty and floods on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit on your descendants and my blessing on your offspring. We also see a comparison once again with the spirit with water. God's life-giving spirit is poured out on generation after generation of those who trust in Christ. Psalm 119, verse 90 also says this. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You established the earth, and it abides. We look at one verse that makes that comparison to water, and again we see another comparison to God giving life, and showing that the comparisons are very close, because that is what water represents, life. But living water represents so much more. And if Christians are careful in training their children in the ways of the Lord, God is faithful to keep His covenant promises from generation to generation, giving that life which does not end. And this is why, speaking of God's covenant faithfulness, Peter declares in Acts chapter 2, verse 39, For the promise is to you and to your children, and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. 
The living water of the gospel is spread far and wide by the Holy Spirit. It sustains, it keeps, and those who have it will want of nothing. Or in the words of Christ, will never again thirst. The inheritance of land with water has been seen as a great inheritance in ancient times. Yet the passing of the knowledge of God through the preaching of the gospel from generation to generation is a far better one. Only the rich in the days of old could give their sons land that had a wellspring of water. But we have a Father who has given us something of greater importance, an inheritance that is far more precious, that being the gospel. For indeed, water can dry up. The water of a fertile land can be eventually used until there is nothing left. But the wells of the Holy Spirit never run dry and always provide for the succeeding generations. The wells of man will dry and fail, but the living water will always persevere. The sad thing is, is that we're not always thirsty for this living water. We try to find our own water, our own way to save ourselves. For all of mankind is thirsty but not all know what it is they need. And some even say, oh, I'm not thirsty at all. The sad state of affairs is mentioned in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13. God says, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewn themselves cisterns, broken cisterns, that can hold no water. There's that comparison again. And indeed, I could say many more times just how often water is mentioned, both Old Testament and even the New. Comparisons. And how often living water is brought up. While not called that by name till Christ says this in John. So imagine this then, from what we've just read. That those that have op- the opportunity to drink and thirst no more reject the living water and search for other means. A demand to have water that they make for themselves or have gathered for themselves. Here are God's covenant people for they are dying for lack of the Spirit's living water. But God's covenant people find it. Those who reject it, they turn their back on the fountain of life which God abundantly provides through Christ and content themselves with digging dusty dry holes of their own. They make those Cisterns, that broken cisterns mentioned in Jeremiah, to give themselves to slack their thirst. But they are very casual about such a necessity, refusing one water to be given to them simply for the sake that they want to find it themselves, because they can, or they believe they do. How casual we all can be concerning such a precious thing as this living water, and how quickly we are distracted. How uninterested can we be? For even there is a temptation that we consider it such a common thing, water. And just as we sometimes overlook water despite its necessity, because, oh, water's all around us, right? So too, can we be surrounded by the gospel, that which sustains us, live in a Christian country, and yet be very casual about it. 
It is amazing how many people die of thirst surrounded by water. It is amazing how many people can die of thirst surrounded by the gospel and die into sin. It is right here. And yet, so many refuse. One who works hard out in the heat of the day can become quite thirsty without even realizing it. He needs a drink before he becomes ill. Could we say that we as people can become spiritually dehydrated as we labor out in this world? Are we then not in need of the Spirit's life-giving power? This is what Jesus is saying in our Scripture passage this day. Come, you will not be turned away. Drink of the living water. Those who are thirsty for the living water, the Spirit of God, are promised that they shall be satisfied. And this satisfaction is beyond all others, and that it also gives eternal life. Consider this wide-open invitation God gives us in Isaiah chapter 51, verse 1. Ho, oh, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Yes, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. There it is again. Those who thirst, come to the waters. Buy without price. Gospel freely given and yet easily rejected. Or at least it would seem so from the people of the world. If you are thirsty, come. If your soul longs for the forgiveness of sins through Christ, God says, come. For here is sustenance, satisfaction. For it is truth. The Holy Spirit comes from this living water. Gives truth, wisdom, knowledge. And the ability for us to recognize who we are, what we deserve, and who can save us. So if you feel within yourself that your spiritual life has gone cold, and your desire is that first love for Christ to return, God says to come, drink of the water. Consider the passion for the grace of God found in the words of Psalm chapter 42, verses 1 through 2. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? This is an earnest desire for Christ, for truth. <clears throat> there are many to this day who feel they have no purpose in this life, and it will happen again and constantly. For there is ever a desire and a thirst but so many do not know what it is they need, what it is they desire. They don't know what will get rid of this weight of life. They are purposeless. And yet, water is to be found. Satisfaction, sustenance, that which can give them life. And those who are truly thirsty and who are given this living water, drink and are pleased. This is not sipping from a glass at a wine tasting. This is a passion for water that only one dying of thirst can know. This involves a serious hatred of our sin, a full acknowledgement of who we are, sinful creatures, but a fervent desire to obey the commands of God and a resolute, firm faith that Christ's death on the cross 
paid the punishment for our sin firstness. For we are not then sustained till we taste the true living water, that which truly fulfills and satisfies, that truth of the gospel which provides for us. One who is dying of thirst goes with fervor, with a great deal of enthusiasm for that water which they see. And is not hesitant, for he knows his condition and knows he is close to death. One who is wandering in the wastelands of this world becomes quite thirsty and in danger of death. And upon finding water doesn't go, oh, this is not particularly the type of water I would choose. Maybe I'll wander further and find a better spring. No, when they find water, they go for it strongly. But the water here in Scripture is freely given. No amount of searching we do will find the water on our own. No, the living water has to be given to us. But we are a foolish people, and sometimes we will go, oh, I must keep searching more. No. But this water is given. And we have this promise in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 13, where God Himself says, And you will seek Me and find Me, when you search with me with all your heart. For indeed, God works that desire in us. Of great pity it is for those who thirst and do not know why they thirst and are in denial of their thirst. Or if they do realize they thirst, they search it for themselves, thinking that their thirst can only be satisfied if they find the means to satisfy that thirst by their own merit and thus ignoring the living water which is freely given. That which is the gospel. That which truly saves and gives life everlasting. One of the interesting things about the passages that compare the Holy Spirit and the gospel to water is that we are not to hoard it for ourselves and refuse to share. Oh yeah, That was a common practice too back in the day. Once you found water, you kept it. You guarded it. Sometimes you charge for it, and often you would kill for it, and keep others from it sometimes. After all, we would not know about the living water had someone not told us. For indeed, this is offered to us. We cannot find it on our own. But we shouldn't hoard it or refuse to share it. Our duty is, is once we tasted this living water, to give it out. This is a command of God. To share forth the gospel. This is the duty of the Christian. Evermore go forth to do that duty of spreading that gospel. Of sharing this living water. Consider John's vision of heaven in the book of Revelation. He wrote in Revelation chapter 22 verse 1, And he, an angel, showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. As said previously, there's a lot of talk about water throughout the Scriptures. And here we see it. A pure river, a water of life, clear as crystal proceeding from the throne of God. John did not discover this river on his own, though. It was shown to him. First, we see that this river came directly from the throne of God. So we know that we cannot save ourselves, and God is the provider of this water. God provides salvation for His people through the Lord Jesus Christ. As we read in chapter 
5, verse 8 of Romans. But God demonstrates His own love towards us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God demonstrates His love towards us. How does He do it? Through Christ. All of this with that idea of water, that which sustains us. But after this, the church is to extend this gospel to the rest of the world. We are given this gift. Share it. We taste of this water. Give it to those who thirst. And if we are truly Christian, we will have this desire. When we taste and are sustained, we have this desire to give to others. For indeed, is not charity one of those great virtues in Scripture? And what better thing to give than that living water to the dying man? What better way to give to the man dead to sin, the gospel. Here's a passage of scripture in which the church is called a temple. We read in Ezekiel chapter 47, verses 1 through 5, Though he brought me back to the door of the temple, and there was water flowing from under the threshold of the temple towards the east, for the front of the temple faced the east. The water was flowing from under the right side of the temple, south of the altar. He brought me out by the way of the north gate and led me around on the outside to the outer gateway that faces east. And there was water running out on the right side. And when the man went out to the east with the line in his hand, he measured 1,000 cubits, and he brought me through the waters. The water came up to my ankles. Again, he measured 1,000 and brought me through the waters. The water came up to my knees. Again, he measured 1,000 and brought me through. The water came up to my waist. Again he measured 1,000, and it was a river that I could not cross, for the water was too deep. Water in which one must swim. A river that could not be crossed. This is coming forward from the temple. A representation of the church. Water that seems but a trickle, but as deep as a river. And indeed, deep as a river, wide like an ocean. That's saying there. All coming forward from the church. That small trickle, which is perceived as a trickle, is a lot more powerful than at once perceived. The gospel which we as Christians in the church proclaim is more powerful than we think. And indeed, when we consider water, we don't often think of strength. I mean, it's a wet substance, and yes, I say water is wet, and it can shape valleys and canyons, erode rocks, cut through mountains. And the water which is described as living water that comes from church, that comes from God, it is not a dripping water tap. It is not a puddle. It is wide and it is deep. It is powerful and it cleanses sinners from the deepest stains. Paul put it this way in Romans chapter 1, verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. This is a command to go forth and preach, yes. And there are other verses like the Great Commission that commands us to preach and share the gospel of Christ, but it is also a call for us to be water bearers, water carriers. In World War I, there were special Italians of men whose strict purpose 
was to carry water to the front line. We're Christians, soldiers of Christ. We're all on the front lines permanently. And yet we're also, at the same time, water bearers for one another. Water bearers to the world, carrying forth this living water. The world is a dying place. It is a dried up desert. Pity those who go without water, for their death is close upon them. Water is everywhere. And the talk of water is everywhere in the Bible. And it represents those truths. That living water, which we must seek, which we must give to others, which we must spread far and wide, which we must talk about. And every time the word water is mentioned, and as you're going through your devotions or reading your Bible, keep a lookout for the word water. Think of that comparison to the living water the gospel, that life-sustaining, life-everlasting gospel, and the Holy Spirit that works in us, true faith and belief, you'd be surprised how much is mentioned. And I made many quotes from different parts of the scripture that talk about water. There's many more. And with that, thinking about water and living water, we think about life. And then we think about our Christian life and what that truly means to be carriers of water. May God use us as tools by which the living water may come to the whole world. May God use us to provide the gospel to everyone that all may taste this living water. The gospel is the power of God. It is like a rushing cascade of a river in full flood. God calls upon us first to thirst for it. Second, he calls us to drink deeply from it. And third, tells us to lead others to it. But let us never take it for granted or try to find a substitute. May we all have this spiritually consistent thirst that is constantly satisfied. And for that, and the greatest blessing in our Lord Jesus Christ and in God our Father who provide for us this water this which sustains us for all time to come. And so let us never forget to be thankful for such a blessing, a blessing which we do not deserve. Amen. Let us now go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the giving of your word, this, this which sustains us. We thank you for the Holy Spirit you have given to us, which gives us life and understanding. We thank you for this living water which you have given to us. And we ask that you not only grant us understanding, but a desire to treat this living water, this gospel, the way it should be treated, as something to be shared far and wide. O oh Lord, we recognize that the water that flows forth from your throne, it is not a trickle. It is not a stream. It is an ocean. Something so vast, and deep, and powerful that in this life we cannot possibly understand all of it. But we do understand one thing. That this water, which comes forth from you, needs to be shared. Needs to be sustained. Needs to be partaken with. 
we ask that you grant us this desire and ever work in us an excited spirit for it. Oh Lord, it is tempting to just be careless with the water that we've been given. Be careless with the gospel we've been given. To have it, not use it. To have it and to hoard it. And we ask that you grant us knowledge of what we have so that we may do so without fear and without hesitation. Give us strength, O Lord, for we are a weak people. Grant us this desire. Grant us the will to go forth and do yours. Do your will. For we, we hope to be those carriers of water. This living water. Bless us, O Lord, as we pursue your will. As we consider all that you have revealed to us in Scripture. And as we go forth, grant us peace in our turbulent minds. And let us recognize that which gives us life everlasting. In Jesus' name, amen.